Welcome to Speak It On. This program is designed for the edification and entertainment of the listeners and not designed to be representative of a church, nonprofit organization, or denomination. Opinions expressed are solely those of the host. Hey, hey, welcome back. This is the first of a series of four things that we'll be looking at specifically having to do with what should you expect or what could you expect from a preacher giving a sermon? What is it that you should expect? Now, in a way, this is a loaded question. It's a super loaded question. And the reason it's a loaded question really has to do with, uh, you could ask that question of, hey, what should you expect during a speech, you know, if a politician's up there? Or what should you expect if you're watching something on TV, the news, for example? What is it? Well, here's what makes things very different. All right, so you got a speech and you have a sermon. And they more or less follow kind of a similar similar format. So what's the difference? Okay, so the difference is a sermon is, first of all, supposed to be a message that is inspired onto the speaker from God. Now, did they, like, drop an angel on this person's head? Uh, you know, uh, did uh, tablets fall out of the sky? Uh, did you get a map to some special tablets where you, you know, you can write this jazz down? You know, um, you know, how is it that the person gets that? Well, the inspiration, of course, is usually supposed to follow uh, some type of, uh, first of all, relationship with God, right? But uh, you know, a lot of people will talk about prayer, and uh, you know they'll be in their their Bible study time, and it'll come to them then. But to be honest with you, there's other people who have just been walking down the street, and something will come to them. So that's why I think it's important to kind of set some ground rules on what we're talking about on what you should expect because you got a lot of different messages out there a lot of different kinds of preachers a lot of people a lot of preachers love to just blow sunshine right up your nose you know and not that that's always a bad thing okay but that's a motivational thing and anytime i hear a motivational preacher i ask myself can i find that in the secular world better and that sounds kind of tacky, doesn't it? But it's true. Because, look, if we're going to start borrowing from the secular world, and to be honest, it, they do things better than a lot of preachers as far as blowing sunshine. Uh, I've read Tony Robbins, and uh, he's really, really, really good with, about, you know, with positive motivation and all that fun stuff. But I'm not going to listen to Tony Robbins to uh, to find a message from God necessarily. All right, 
I'm not saying God couldn't do that. I'm just saying that uh, he ain't my first choice on that issue. I'm going to go to a preacher. And I'm going to go to my preacher. I'm going to go to the preacher of the church that I'm at. So here's the thing. What is it that you should expect out of a sermon, out of a message? There's quite a few things. And, but I, I'm, this series, this is going to be kind of a four-part series, but this is kind of the semi-intro. Organization ought to be part of it. Now, here's what really gets me about, about preachers in many ways. Um, because we have the Spirit involved in the messaging, okay, the Holy Spirit. Uh, anytime somebody goes off into la-la land, into a different topic, different whatever, they will tell you, well, that's just where the Spirit took me. Okay. Okay. Now, here's, here's the thing we need to remember, though. God is a God of order and not chaos. So, uh, by and large, a, a message from the Lord, and if you look in the New Testament, and even in the Old Testament, the messages are organized in some fashion. So, if you got somebody who's all over the blooming place, and they say, well, that's just where the Spirit took me, Okay, uh, well, when the Spirit talks to you, it might be in gibberish then. I don't know. Uh, I think a lot of times preachers use that as an excuse for not organizing and not doing the work to begin with on the sermon. So they just grab a verse and run with it. Now, you know, now I'm probably going to get a lot of heat on that because people are like, well, you're squelching the Holy Spirit, and you're squelching the Holy Spirit, and that, that, that's just not how I work. Well, I, okay, I get it. But here's what I'm saying. God is a God of order, not chaos. He says so. And if you're causing chaos at the pulpit, well, that's a problem. Now, there's as many ways to organize a sermon... And they, they teach, and by the way, the study of how to do a sermon, in the, the fancy word in seminary is called homiletics. A sermon is called a homily. Uh, now, basically, a sermon is a speech with a spiritual message. And in by and large, you're going to find there's motivational uh and there's thematic, uh, which motivational and thematic kind of sometimes go hand in hand. And then there's informational and persuasional. All right. So with your motivational, you're you're going to find somebody that takes a really uh, enlightening piece of scripture, and then they're going to run with it to uh, uplift you. Okay. They're going to exhort, exhortation, exhortation, I think is the word. They're going to exhort you. And I think that's great. 
and it's super important. Um, I think a steady diet of it is not super awesome because literally we have to learn the Word of God. We have to be taught the Word of God, which leads me to the informational. Now, I've always had complications, to be honest, in the history of my studies of, of communication between informational and persuasional because a lot of times uh, they flow in and out of each other so quickly. Uh, you know, informational, uh, you know, you, you, you're reading off basically sources that you're giving, you know, from people or from different places. And in a way, uh, when you're giving an informational thing, you're, you're presenting that like it's fact. When, if your sources are garbage, it's not fact. And so sometimes you have to convince people that your sources are correct, and then the minute you start doing that, you're into a persuasion situation, which leads you right into a persuasive presentation. But here's the thing. By and large, uh, a sermon is, the, is, a, is a persuasional issue, a persuasional message concerning this is what God says we should be doing. And here's why. And this is what the scripture says about it. Now, uh, informational is actually going to be more like Bible teaching. Now, Bible teaching can be you know, it can be kind of persuasion in nature as well because here's what you're, here's what you're doing. You say, well, the Apostle Paul says this. All right. So in Romans, this is the the way the book is, and this is, and you start teaching. Okay, this is you know, Paul. This is the number of book. You know, the the order he wrote it in. This is who he wrote it to. This Apostle Paul's the, the you know the author. So you start giving you know, a lot of information. But a lot of times, the interpretation of what Paul is saying ends up being persuasional because you have to because everybody has their own little kind of attitude about how to interpret certain books but you're in Bible teaching you're, if Paul is trying to exhort people to change behavior then that's what you're showing in your information now that all sounds kind of boring alright so let's cut to some other stuff and, and let's work from this Hyde Robinson, a very famous preacher, died not too long ago. Went to, to be with Jesus not too long ago. Mentioned three cornerstones of what a preacher ought to be doing in bridging the gap between the ancient and the modern. In other words, all of this stuff was written so many thousand years ago, and how do what does that mean for me today? The job of the preacher is to bridge that gap. Now, there's three things that Hayden Robinson mentions. He mentions that they should be showing the history, or using history, using culture and the language to help bridge that gap. And that has to do with how well they study the passage they're trying to convey. 
So if you got a sermon based on a passage somewhere, you need to be able to understand the history, the culture, and the language of that. Now, I'm going to throw a different, another element in there. And this is... This might sound like it's going to muddy the water, but I'm going to say that pastors ought to be aware of archaeology. Now, why in the world is that? Because archaeology affects all three of those things. It affects the history, the culture, and the language. And the 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 more current we are on archaeology as to, hey, they're doing these this research in Israel and they've dug up, you know, this this and this and this and this. For example, the, the Dead Sea Scrolls. Oh, man. Game changer in a lot of ways. But, so, in preceding uh, explanations, okay, we're going to look at history, culture, and language, and we're going to look at the archaeology and why every one of those things is important. Now, just for a taste, let me, let me show you why history can be important. Because uh, if you'll look at John chapter 1, all right, and verse 43, where Jesus calls Philip and Nathaniel, all right, so, this says, starting in verse 43, The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethesda, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael says to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. Now, that's a weird statement. In verse 46... In verse 46, Nathanael says to Philip, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Well, why is that? That's kind of strange. What's the matter with Nazareth? Well, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I mean, you can look at the geography... Okay, you look at pull your Bible map out. You can see that Nazareth is in the Galilee. The Galilee is on the north side. Okay, Israel faces north and west. You know, north and south usually. I mean, it's kind of elongated that way. And then you have the Mediterranean on the uh, west side, and then the Jordan is on the east. So here's the thing: Nazareth is up there. So basically, you're thinking, oh, well, that's up in the boondocks. You know, that's the boonies. So they're thinking, oh no, country bumpkin. You know, I've seen, uh, there's a lot of people that explain that because they're thinking in those terms. All right. Now, in some ways, Galilee was looked at in that way. But, if you know the history, you'll know this, that 
of all of the, the complications that happened to Rome and to Israel, of all the troublemakers, all right, of all the troublemakers, people that stirred stuff up and got Israel in trouble, and usually uh, these troublemakers got put down in a really ugly way, killed, yes, six came out of Nazareth. Not Nazareth, excuse me, came out of the Galilee, which is on the north side, came out of that area. So to be honest, they had a kind of a, a bad rap. Now, you don't see that in the text. It doesn't tell you. Well, actually, in in the text, in Acts, in different places, it will talk of various people that have arisen and caused problems. All right? But of the ones that came, you know, six of those people, you know, several, you know, many of them are not mentioned in the New Testament. But if you look the history up, you'll know that, you know, I think there was like eight of them. Well, here comes Jesus, and guess what? He's from Galilee. <laughs> He's from Nazareth. And so they're thinking. And so immediately Nathaniel says this because so many people, troublemakers, have come from Nazareth, or not Nazareth, but the Galilee specifically. That's why he's got a bad idea concerning Nazareth. But you have to know the history to know that. You have to be able to get into the history to know that. So that being the case, can you see why it would be good to know that? Because if you're setting up a sermon and you're fixing to explain a passage, you might just assume, oh, well, you know, this is up in the country bumpkin area, and these guys were backwoods, you know, so that's why he's saying that. Well, yeah, maybe, maybe not. But you got to look at what the history is. So it's, it's important. It's important. And so when you hear a sermon, especially on a passage of Scripture... You need to ask yourself, did this person look up the history of this of this passage, of this area? Do they know it? Because that will help them bring it to you in modern language. Super important. So, with that thought in mind, I want to be diligent, and next time uh, we'll have number two in this series of what you can expect out of a sermon. But in the meantime, I want you to keep on keeping on. Thank you for listening to this edition of Speak It On. If you would like to support this ministry, then please go to Patreon under L.A. Blackburn. May God bless every effort you make to do His will in His Word.